0: I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks and welcome back to my favorite
1: time of the week and I'm really delighted to have on the series uh, this week Joe Copeman. and Joe has just finished being the Managing Director for the UK uh, plus region which is sort of UK and various other countries but he's been doing two jobs he's also been the global Senior Vice President for sales for ACAST and now luckily wise he's focusing on one job and this Hired a new person as, as MD. Um, but this is a big job because they're in 12 to 13 countries, and ACAST is the largest global podcast company. And since I'm fascinated by podcasting, I thought I'd get to the source and to the man who is running it all. So, um, Joe, over to you, really. Welcome. Great to have you on the series. Thanks, Jonathan. T- tell us a little bit about um, ACAST, just very briefly, in a little nutshell. Uh, Anything more that you could just add as as just people who don't know about it? And then just a nutshell of the kind of firms that you've worked for since since university.
2: Sure, so ACAST is the largest uh, global podcast company uh, uh, right now. Um, We founded, uh, we were founded in Sweden in 2014 um, and yeah we have over ten thousand podcasts we represent now Um, and yeah my role as you say has kind of moved on from uh, what was a, a sales role to begin with my first moved into the company to now um, being responsible for the sales in all markets We operate in
1: Brilliant. Now, what, about, what about the different jobs? Because we had a discussion. I really enjoyed our chat to begin with uh, you, you were saying it was like it was like doing a graduate scheme. You, you've worked in so many different Areas of media production things you want to just say about post-university.
2: Yeah, yeah sure so- so I, I, I fell into um, media um, as my first job at Capital Radio uh, when I was 21, um, and you know media sales was was good fun. You know I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the entertainment business. It kind of uh, worked off the back of the degree I did. And um, since I came to work in um, you know radio sales at Capital Radio, I've been lucky enough to move from different media, to different media. So there was Capital Radio there was ITV, there was Pearl and Dean, so cinema, um, and Sky, so digital. So I always felt like I was doing an elongated, mature version of a graduate scheme, doing three and a half years in different mediums, um, understanding and learning about that medium, uh, with the hope uh, or expectation that fates would um, deal me a card that would all be for a reason, um so when this opportunity came along from uh from acast which um i didn't you know it's a brand new company um podcasting wasn't really a thing six six years ago um i thought you know what's there to lose let's let's go for it and since then it's it's been an absolutely magical journey
1: you you were so um lucky or Mm. i don't know you read the market to see how podcasting has become such a huge thing Mm. and particularly with um coronavirus you must have seen the um, the listening numbers ramp up have you, have you got any kind of idea of
2: how much it's increased uh, yeah the- it's, it's, it's changed in different markets i mean it's, it's around an increase of between five and ten percent in in most markets um which um you know has been phenomenal the biggest difference has been uh kind of the, the change in listening patterns so you know people aren't listening on their way into work and the way out of work so much now you know they start listening in the mornings and it's pretty consistent throughout the day now um, but you know people are coming to podcasts for different reasons it's escapism it's you know at the beginning it was to find out more about coronavirus now it's to escape coronavirus and kind of mm-hmm. indulge in comedy or um there's, there's a lot of uh, educational listening going on now you know self-improvement um, as I say, escapism, mental health, this sort of thing as well. Um, so yeah, podcasts have massively taken off. And you know, going back to you know, six years where we started, um, you know, podcasts arrived you know, 11, 12 years ago, didn't really take off too much um, until the tech uh, allowed us to kind of do more advanced, innovative things in podcasting, which was when ACAST was launched. And we launched in the UK, uh, the same week that um, a podcast called Serial launched, um, and that seems to be kind of the gateway podcast for many people. That's the first one they listen to, and since then it's just grown and grown phenomenally.
1: Yeah, well, what is, in your opinion, you know, give me some advice. I mean, here I am doing podcasts. I've only been in since September with, on episode fifty-six. What, what have you found has been the the secret of really successful
2: podcasters and podcasts? Um. One of the key ways that you become successful is is why you get into podcasting. You know, from a sales point of view, we're here to make money for podcasters, but if a podcaster comes to us to get into podcasting to make money, that's the wrong reason. Yeah. You wanna come into it because you have a really interesting story to tell, you've got a passion for it, and you enjoy storytelling. Um, yeah, people that come to us when they want to make a podcast to make money is not necessarily the right reason at all. Um, and And also you know there 's many different types of podcasts. You know, your classic podcasts are one to one interviews, and um, often they take place in in studios i 've enjoyed podcasts a lot more now, where these conversations take place elsewhere. It could be what whilst walking a dog it could be whilst doing something different. And you actually tend to get more from um, the interviewee when you 're doing um, something at the same time because they open up more you 're not sat over a desk looking at each other in the eyes, so you can you can open up more so you know the right interviewers you know, I'm a big fan of people like Adam Buxton and people like that um, who do fantastic interviews um, but you know you have so many more interesting formats coming in now um fictional storytelling um user generated content where listeners are sending in stories and things like that so um they, you know we are a wash of incredibly um you know, creative uh, podcasters right now it's <laughs> Tyson, Tyson. Fantastic.
1: Well, I, I will keep working and learning from the others as I listen to. And in ACAST, you—you you know, Austin was the was the one who, who recommended you. And I only have I only have uh, hosts, I only host people, guests. Thank you uh, on podcasts who've been recommended by other people. I I happy with. I like to be on your podcasts. Say, thank you, but actually, I need people to say you're an inspiring leader to be here. People say you're an inspiring leader, and you've created a really interesting culture. Cast. Certainly uh, in, in the team, you know, you have about 55 people that have been working there, or uh, everybody's now working from home uh, during the, uh, the pandemic. But, um, you know, happy that they find it their best job. And, and that comes from, uh, we'll talk later on about your tennis and your sporting prowess. But um, as you've learned about being a, an inspiring leader yourself, who do you look back on who inspired you? And, and what qualities did they have? Perhaps you might mention a couple of people.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been fortunate to work with some incredible managers in my time and, and, and equally as fortunate to work with some terrible managers. At the yeah, same we'll talk time. about that in a moment. We'll yeah, but, you, know, you, you learn as much from, from both of them. Um, you know, my first manager at Capital Radio, um, a guy called Mark, he was, he was fantastic. Um, you know, I learned many, many skills from him. But um, what, what practical
1: things could leaders do? People who are listening, think about being a good manager. What-
2: I, th- I think from, from him, there's some many great techniques, sales techniques, um, negotiation techniques, um, and also getting the best out of a team and feeling feeling really driven. I think, yeah, the, the drive he kind of empowers you to have was, uh, as part of a team, was was quite, quite a great skill. Yeah. I learned from him. Um, uh, again, at, at Pearl and Dean, I had a, a manager called Mike, Mike Kirkmill. Um and again, you know, I learned heaps from him. I mean, he was a hugely warm, likeable guy um, who would, you know, he would be the centre of a room, but again, would always, you know, never take himself too seriously. You know, he had a, a presence about him as well, and would always protect you. I remember one time in particular where uh, we had a campaign running for, for Nivea, and I would made a mistake. Um, and, you know, we went in to face the, the clients in the room, and, you know, knowing he had my back the whole time was, was hugely um, helpful and supportive. So, yeah, I took, took that from him as well. It's nice when leaders take, take bullets for people. And mm-hmm. also,
1: you have leaders who are what I would call toxic and mm-hmm. um, narcissistic, self-driven, egotistical, um, some sort of Donald Trump type characters, larger than life. So, when you work for those ones, what's the watch out for people when when they've got certain traits in a leader? Uh, as I say, if you've got a narcissist, uh, personality disorder person, or what I call a white collar psychopath, mm. emigrate, emigrate to avoid them. I mean, you know, you've got you can't change them, so you have to get away from them. But mm. if you are working for some, what what are the signs that you should watch out for? Because you work for some some bad ones too
2: yeah i think you know any any leader who doesn't recognize um where work stops and life starts is is a, a poor leader you know you, every leader needs to understand that different people have different backgrounds different lifestyles um and they need to be able to shut away from, from work from time to time um so i think that's an expectation that is unfair to have on any any member of staff um and then you have you know leaders again who um who have obvious favorites but you now I, I don't necessarily mind you know a leader who you know gets on better with some people than someone else necessarily. but when you you do so and don't listen to other people as much or show that you are open to other people's ideas as much um that's 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 not cool and i think yeah. there's I remember
1: in, in the military having a, uh, an instructor who was, and in his case, he would be biased towards the regiment, the cap badge, as we call it, that you were from, that it was more prestigious. And therefore, if it was a prestigious guards or cavalry regiment, he'd listen to them. But if you were in one of the technical corps, that was a bit less trendy. Of course, now it's the other way around. But, um, and so it was almost a, a one-upmanship uh, sort of class structure. And, and he would give bias to people that way. And I, I remember pinning him behind a door once when everyone else had left and say, you just can't do this. You've got to give people it based on merit. It really grated me. Um, And then what about, um, you know, you talked about other leaders who get it wrong. But I'm sure you're like me that you make many mistakes and still keep learning from them. What about the mistakes that you've made and what you learned from them and, and how that would help other people? that They don't have to make the same blunders that you made
2: yeah i mean that's that's where you learn most i think where you make mistakes um and you know at acast you know when we first you know started in october 2014 no one had bought a podcast before so um i've said this before and i'll, I'll say it again you know for the first for the first you know we had to make it up as we went along because no one had done this before no one was out there podcast en masse as a network um so you know we had to think you know what are we selling how do we price it how do we sell it? Um, and sure, you know, we, 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 got things wrong, um, whether it's pricing or whether it's, um, I, other ways of, um, you know, working with the podcaster and the advertiser together, but you know, those are the areas you learn, you learn more, at. you, you, you accelerate your, uh, your learning and therefore your success by, by I think when things go wrong and you can, you can adapt.
1: Yeah. And, um, also, the other thing which I think is interesting is that, um, as well as the decisions we make that we make mistakes with, there's also the behaviour. Because you pride yourself on caring for people, and, and you get you told me you got a real great buzz when people are happy and they find that this is the best job they've ever done, and the culture, which is the way things are done around here, which is often set by the MD in your case, uh, is healthy. When have you, as a as a leader, maybe in the early days, or maybe recently, we all make mistakes. Recently, when have you got it wrong in the way you handled people, and what have you learned about how to handle people better?
2: Yeah, that's that's a good question. I think um, if I could look at one thing, I'm probably guilty of as a leader, it's um, it's it's always becoming too too friendly with people. I think Um, you need to be able to have have that line where no matter how friendly you are, there's a a line. to cross and I don't think necessarily I would cross it towards the people of the team I think that because I like to give off a very friendly environment they always feel they can um you know reveal too much or just go or or, troops suddenly um there are no barriers and it's almost like a um anything goes kind of thing and this could be on a team night out for example or whatever where um you know, something might happen and you think, actually, you, that's, that's not okay. Um, you know, if I was your, your friend and we were out for, you know, a night, at the weekend, fine. But, you know, I, as, as your manager, it's, it's hard because, you know, there's, you know, there's an occasion where you have to kind of take action if something would happen like that. Um, and, you know, and I always say that's not necessarily their fault, it's my fault because I probably gave the impression that I was more a mate of theirs than necessarily um, a manager. So I think that's, that's possibly, And I think you know, I wouldn't be the only one to be guilty of that. I'm sure. Yeah,
1: that's, that's, let's yeah. stay with that, because I think that's very, a very interesting point. And um, I, I found that I got this uh, occasionally wrong as a young officer in the army, where trying to go for popularity rather than respect. Mm-hmm. And, and, and people wouldn't know, because you were making the boundaries very relaxed, they would take advantage of them. A bit like, I'm about to get a puppy in a few weeks' time, about seven weeks' time. Uh, and it's going to need some boundaries uh, because mm-hmm. otherwise chaos will reign and it needs to know what goes on. But I'm not saying that people like puppies and we're training that, like, but it's just that uh, as humans, we've, we've got to have freedom within a framework, some kind of framework with, with freedom, but yet also fun. And, and and you were talking about your love of fun and really enjoying it. And from um, a man who used to set up raves and get things going, you, you've always enjoyed living life to the full. Um, how do you ensure there's enough fun but yet there's a bit of framework within the fun so they don't abuse it
2: i think um you know firstly who who doesn't want to be popular i think yeah everyone likes to be popular with people around them um it makes the whole environment um the best it can be when you um i I think become a better leader um you need to understand that you can't always be popular with every decision you make you know you you'll, you'll need to make decisions that will um, affect some people in a negative way. It's, it's how you address that, and how uh, honest and open you are with them, and, and how you know you, you back that up with the context and, and the reason. I think so long as you do that, you'll still have their, their full respects, um, no matter what the decision might be. Yeah. Um, I think that, that's one thing I've learned from, again, very very good managers, and I'd say that about our CEO now, You know, it's, it's learning that you can't always make a decision that will please everyone.
1: And just stay with your CEO, and- before we go on to talk about qualities that you admired in him and you've worked with him for a while now you, you remind me of the point that he the, the why the purpose when you give people a why and a reason for something and people have meaning and purpose in the work they do and they know why they do the work they can cope with any what or how remember some goethe the philosopher he who has a clear burning why can cope with any what or how let's go on to your your ceo and um, just tell us who he is and, and really qualities that you admire in him.
2: So our CEO is uh, Ross Adams. He, uh, I worked with Ross actually my very first job um, out of uni at Capital Radio. Um, and he took a, um, a similar career path to me except he went from Capital Radio to Spotify and basically set up Spotify here in the UK um, and <laughs> the, the European sales um, function. And um, and then he he was the one who uh, first kind of found out about uh, Acast. Um, there was some people who had been involved with Spotify um, who set up Acast, so he was um, kind of brought in for that. And and he brought me in uh, in the UK. Um, and he's he's someone who he's got you know many many great qualities. Um, first of all, you know the ability to get on with everyone. Um, he can be, you know, the centre of attention in a room, but he also has an incredibly calming um, influence on people around him. When when the chips are down, or when there's a high pressure situation, he has ability to, uh, you know, assure people and um, and for them to be calm. And I think that's, that's and again, you know, in when he's having flax thrown at him from it might be any situation, a board meeting or whatever. Um, he is very good at, at reacting to questions and providing good, coherent, well thought out answers.
1: Yeah, that's great. And what, from, from your experience of working with him and other leaders and your own practical thing, what would you give us as your first top tip about being an inspiring leader? People that you've worked with who you found inspiring, what practical thing can
2: people do? Um, honestly, it's one um, of the first thing I like to think about is that a good leader can, you know, make fun of themselves. And, and, and poke fun at themselves. I think that will immediately um, get away any any kind of barriers. I, I think in terms of you know I'm your manager, you report into me, um, and it means that straight away you. I think it's a very likable thing to be able to do. So I think the ability to poke fun at oneself, um, and and also to but when you, you know, when I bring people into a team, the thing I want to do is not just necessarily put them into a role and hope they you know have the right skills for it I'll bring someone in and I will you know work closely with them to understand what their best skills are and hopefully within four or five weeks you have a true picture of you know where their best areas are and I want these people to be the very best version of themselves they can be Um, and it might be that you know you you ask them to do different aspects of a job or it might be there's a different job on horizon which is actually that can be a very good uh, position for this person, so it really is trying to empower them to be the very best version of themselves they can be.
1: Great tip, and and um, one of the things I find, uh, one of the psychometrics that I encourage leaders to use, is a, is one that around what drives and motivates them, but also what drives and motivates their team. And when the leader takes it, and then the team takes it, the leader can actually understand what gets the best out of his people because they love doing those kind of things. I mean they are necessarily doing them, but but then he knows what's behind that person, that man or woman, hmm. what gives them fulfillment satisfaction. We guess at it, but actually until you get someone else to do it, you, you, you're really in the dark. So that's one uh, te- technique I would encourage, to, to use a, a useful psychometric that is their opinion of themselves, what drives and motivates them, but what gives them fulfillment, satisfaction, happiness. And then feeding back into what you said about culture, happiness, enjoying the job. Then you can give them projects and things that they love doing. Mm-hmm. And you talked about uh, poking fun at, at uh, yourself, and, and yeah, I, I sometimes in the past have got it wrong by taking myself far too seriously and uh, lighten up, you know, and, and I'm working on that all the time, work in progress. I think someone said to me, you're the incomplete, we are the incomplete leader, leading the complete team. You try and get a good team who are metaphorically giants, taller than you in their specialist areas, but having a great team means that you don't work as hard. Um, but what would you uh, talk about poking fun? What what stories uh, come to mind of, of when there's been tense moments and someone's you know lightened it by a, a good bit of humour or something something gone badly wrong and everybody's laughed about it and, and not taken it too seriously?
2: Oh, it, it can be there can be all sorts. It can be you know, tech problems on important calls. Um, it can be. Uh, yeah, a dog running into a, a studio at the wrong time at Acast. You know, we have we have we have our two or three dogs that we have and, and very much love there as well. Um, I mean, there's 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 all sorts of fun and laughter that happen at, a, at the Acast office the whole time, and you really get a situation where there's anything too serious going on uh, where you, where you need these things to to help out. But um, I mean, I think one of one of my favourite memories actually. Uh, was in our third office i think and we had um we're only 15 no i think there's 13 or 14 of us at that point and we had to do a presentation because uh, we're shortlisted for media week sales team of the year and there were about five or six of us on the sales team but the other guys um there were you know ad operations or you know basically in jobs that had never had to pres- present to people before and um you know we had the judges came in at one point and they're about about an equal number of judges to where people in our entire company in the office and our whole thing was we were talking about who we are what we do and how we contributed to what Acast cast uh, managed to achieve um and that morning you know you could cut the atmosphere with a knife everyone was in their own corners of the the, the company rehearsing their few lines um it was so nervous and you know, everyone came together and you know the judges sat down in their two or three rows of seats and we all got to the front and we talked to what we did and um you know it, it went as well as it possibly could be sure a couple of sentences went wrong but um it was fantastic and I think you know the judges could see how much it meant to everyone compared you know the other people up against were people like Channel 4 and ITV and huge media companies who were well on machines and here was you know you know 14 people um many of which we can't present and I just remember when these uh, the judges the, the judges left the building ah oh, the we all came together for this, this, this massive hug. You know, this was pre-coronavirus times um, and I think we went to the pub after that. But yeah, that was one time that it was just an incredible situation where you saw people really come together uh, in a way that I've, you, know, you rarely see. Um, so that was very special.
1: Yeah, that's grand. Now, I'm really interested by uh, leaders and the lives that they've lived and, and how that's shaped the people they are. And people always love stories and the, the real side of, of people um from how they grew up now you've had a, a fascinating uh, upbringing and you know parents who have loved and supported you you're one of four and 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 also you were sent away at 14 to a tennis training school and, and also got involved i think at that young age in some of the top championships with some famous names want to begin with perhaps starting to talk about that and who influenced you early in your life into the leader you are today let's give us a little bit of a a taster through that just a bit of a gamble through that quickly
2: Sure, yeah i was um i was very fortunate to be able to um uh play a lot of tennis when i was a kid i love i absolutely love sport um and tennis was one that my parents um uh well yeah i was very grateful they put me through lots of um training with coaches and so on i used to play cancer tennis regional tennis national tennis and so on um and he got to the age of 14 um and at this point, I was still planning on being a professional tennis player. That was my life all mapped out. Um, and it got to the point where I was, you know, at a school in Norwich and I was becoming restless with that. I, I was thinking that school life wasn't necessarily for me anyway. And I was getting into a bit of trouble. Um, and I saw tennis as the way out. So... um you know, the school probably were quite happy at that point to see me choose to move away from the school, should we say? Uh, my dad was a governor, so I think he was quite relieved as well. Um, and yeah, but, I went. Off but to- also,
1: you uh, did share that the school closed down a year after you left. So well, yeah, it's problems, a problem, didn't
2: it? So, you know, the school that um, closed down was the actual tennis school I went to. So I went to this tennis school in uh, in Watford, and um, you know, I was staying in a boarding unit where the other kids they had dads in the Scottish Army. Um, I was playing. Um, it would be a rough lot.
1: It <laughs> <an> experience <laughs> of the Scottish um, Army. That would. Be yeah, a we
2: rough. were having to barricade ourselves in rooms. There were fights every night. It was a hideous place. Um, that was where I stayed at night time. I was doing three GCSEs in a sixth form college in Hendon, London, and every afternoon I was playing. Um, I think it was three and a half hours tennis and an hour's fitness, and that was six days, okay. and that was age fourteen. So it was a. Crazy part of my life, and I was away from my parents for the first time ever, so it was quite lonely uh, as well. Um, and yeah, I was doing all this tennis, and I played the um, the Orange Bowl, which was the you know, the World Championships um, in Miami. Wow! Um, and the the, the the tournament literally the week before that with the same people. I got to to the last eight, and I was thinking, "Here we go, this is it? I'm you know I'm on par with these guys. I can do it." Um, sadly, I got knocked out in the first round and so the main one. Uh, as soon as my dad came over to watch. Um, But I did. Yeah, you mentioned famous names. I did go out to dinner with Anna Kornikova aged 11 at that point. I was age 14 with our coaches. It wasn't just the two of us. Um, But that was that was a kind of a life-changing moment because I I went over there and when I was there, I was already starting to feel rebellious and I could see the other tennis hopefuls. All they you know they'd be doing their stretches and exercises and I was you know wanting to go off and explore and get up to no good and I kind of realised that. I didn't have the mentality to be a top tennis player because you need to be so t- straight-laced, so focused on one thing and one thing only. And I wanted more from life than well, almost
1: obsessive, aren't they?
2: Yeah, exactly. And that wasn't for me. So, but I mean, didn't you find
1: also, um, you know, and I've s- suffered from this myself in that I've been with very high-caliber people who ended up in the SAS and became generals and things. And I, I was both competitive and comparative, which is a really horrendous combination because. You drive yourself very hard and then constantly hard on yourself. And you were in the same kind of situation, highly competitive, sporting and comparative because only one person can be number one. Yeah. that must have been quite hard.
2: But it was hard. And I think the thing for me was that at the realisation that it wasn't the life for me, having seen how much time and money my parents had poured into me, you know, giving me the chance to be this tennis player, um, I didn't want to have to phone them and say, I, I want out. So, um, I ended up, at that point in my, my my career, was, I think it was January, February time. In fact, it was my mum's birthday, yeah. I remember um, going into Watford and, um, yeah, getting up to no good. I remember having, you know, taking on quite a bit of alcohol, um, illegally, obviously I was only 14. Um, and, you know, taking one or two things from shops that I wasn't allowed to do. Um, and, yeah, one thing led to another, and before you knew it, I was, uh, I was chucked out of that school. Um, and that, for me, was a moment that was you know suddenly there's this big gap in my life. I was always destined to be this tennis player, and I just let my parents down, and um, that void was then there. Um, so that for me was a real, uh, yeah, a dark period for sure. Yeah, yeah.
1: And, and knowing what you know now about you know being away at, at a tough boarding school, but also the intensity that parents' expectations can put on children, you've got children of your own too. What sort of age are they and, and what have you learned about children that you wouldn't do to your own children?
2: Yeah, good point. And um, I've got uh, Matilda, who's 12, and Monty, who's nine. Um, and, you know, I would, you know, I'd love for them to do, you know, do the same kind of sports, everything I do. But, you know, I've learned that they're just not, they're not me. You know, I, I look at um, both of them and you know, if, as soon as you realise that they're just not passionate about it, you can't push them. The more you push them, the more they'll resist against it. So... That's one thing for me, and you know, despite I'd love to be playing you know, tennis or whatever sports with these guys, if they're not into it and they'd rather do something different, something more creative, then great, empower them to do
1: that. Yeah, so a couple of schools that you got um, asked to leave politely, I think that the other term is expelled from, lessons that you you learned about life, really, at a very early age, very competitive, thought that was one route for you, but then it turned out to be a completely different one. But I, I like the fact that you self-motivated and thought, crikey, you know, I'm now out of the school, but I'm going to have to do this myself. Talk, talk to me about that, because I love that kind of... Hmm.
2: Yeah, that sure. Method. So after tennis school, it was um, on GCSEs and A-levels, and uh, uh, this was the school that I met my my wife at. Um, and again, it got to uh, the very start of the first term of, um, uh, of A-levels. Uh, and again, things didn't work out at school, and, uh, and I left. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I then had whole, the whole term to uh, essentially teach myself because um, I, I, I wasn't going to school anymore. So I had the textbooks. So I do I do the homework. I would get up at, you know, nine, work till five. Some of the teachers still were happy to mark my work and you know provide me feedback, which was great. It was like this black market of uh, school markings going between my girlfriends and the teachers and coming back to me. Um, and yeah, sure. I, I did much better in those exams than I was predicted to do, because finally, I felt like I was working for myself rather than just working for these teachers who I didn't really have any respect for. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, that, was, that was really, really useful. So I, I did my A-levels, got you know, good enough gr- grades to get into university, um, had a gap year before I went there and had a fantastic time at university. And again, having had, um, you know, been through quite a few experiences in the past few years, when I got to university, I was quite content to, whilst enjoying myself and, you know, going out and still sort of having fun, Actually, I was more motivated to crack on and actually work there. So I'd, again, I'd get up in the morning while everyone else was you know, lying in bed, and I'd, I'd do a whole day's work, and then go out in the evening with them as well. So um, whereas a lot of my other friends were probably who hadn't you know, had necessarily so many experiences were finding themselves at university, and I think that I'd gone through that phase of my life already by that point.
1: I think this comes up time and again, and um, the importance of having maturity when you're doing something and to do things when you're still got system, stuff in the system, you've got to get out of you. I remember going to Sandhurst aged 18. I was compared to my colleagues who were there. Some had been corporals and served in the army already. They had so much more maturity. I really, in many ways, I did okay, but I just didn't have that level of maturity. And you did the same. You took the gap year. You'd had different experiences. So it really meant something to you. And you came out with it first, which is it was exceptional. So well done for that. Um, I, think, I think that's a lesson for us about getting sufficient experience. You can never, uh, one of the guys I was talking to, uh, Brigadier Jim Richardson, he said, training people and developing people is really important. You can never overdevelop people. You know, you need that experience and life experiences. Uh, mm. one of the guys I'm going to be recording soon, um, Gary Hearn. I mean, he began as a private soldier in the Army, went to the Fultons War as a corporal, then got commissioned as an officer. But he had all that experience before he even went to Santos. You had that maturity and I think you, you getting that mature is important we're coming towards the end of, of our time but um, a couple of things I'd, I'd be interested in um, before we sort of end with some, some tips and your future development plans is what, what about a, a dark time in your in your life in the last few years uh, you know what was that dark time what was a really tough time for you what did you learn from it how has it shaped you as a leader
2: I mean I, I'm, I, I'm lucky enough not to have Particularly, any any dark times in the last in the last few years. Um, I would, you know, I'd, I'd probably say it was, you know, around around the time of, you know, before going to university and you know, um getting all that trouble. That was probably the the, the darkest period. I think more than anything, it was, um, you know, knowing you'd let people down. That that's one of the things I fear most. It was, um you know, parents. It was you know, people who looked after you. you fit the fear that you've you've let them down. That was probably the darkest darkest times um so the ability to pay people back i think giving them something back was always something i wanted to do and i feel that um having kind of yeah, hopefully turned into uh what mum will now describe as you know nice nice guy joe uh, is um is something that i've really really proud of actually so i think those would probably be uh, the darkest times i say I'm, I'm lucky that in the last few years you know i've had an amazing time at Acast. um you know, I'm lucky with a, you know, fantastic family um, around me. So, um, no, I, do, I never take anything for granted. Um, and, and, yeah, I always, you know, look out to try and be the, the best version of me I can be um, and, and help other people um, and always understand that, you know, whilst I might not be going through a dark time, others will be. And where I can possibly spot that and where I possibly can help that, um, for me, that's a hugely important thing. and something I always like to do wherever I can. Great.
1: So last couple of questions. Um, book, what would be um, a book you're reading now or you've read recently about self-development that you found useful or a podcast you listen to? You could, you know, one of each, perhaps.
2: Um, <laughs> yeah, laugh at this, actually. I was about a podcast I listened to um, uh, yesterday, um, one of our a new podcasts by, by Ross Kemp. Um, yeah. Always I, I just found that fascinating. Um, some of the stories he, you know, he's a well-known broadcaster, investigating, you know, doing investigative journalism, that sort of thing. Um, and some of the stories that you know he raised from people who have had to go off and um, do the most incredible jobs, um, you know, drug law enforcement and all this sort of thing. I find that you know extremely interesting to to listen to. Yeah, mm.
1: yeah. And and what about um, your, your final top tip that you'd leave us with before you talk about your future development plans, how you're going to develop yourself.
2: Um, top tips, I think, tr- treat others how you want to be treated. It's a really simple motto, um, but it's always resonated well with me. Don't take yourself too seriously. Um, you yeah, know, we have three values at ACAST that, um, you know, are, are, are exactly what ACAST is about. They are, you know, fueled by passion. So be as passionate as you can. Uh, if you're not passionate about what you do, um, if you can try and find something you're passionate to do um, be open and caring, um, you know, be transparent. I think everyone does things for the right reason, for sure. Um, you know, it might be that you don't understand other people's reasons, for doing it, but there always will be. A reason to find it. Um, and the, fa- the last one, um, curious and brave. You know, I think I-, I love being around people who are curious about what they do. Um, what they're up to and the curious about the world around them and people who are brave, who are willing to take risks, um, risk takers. I think uh, people who tend to have the, the more amusing stories to listen to and yeah. the more inspiring people. Yeah,
1: brilliant. And then finally, what are you going to do to develop yourself as a leader? Right? What's your plans for the next uh, year?
2: Listen to feedback. Always listen to feedback from others around me, um, and most of that I find is better coming from um, people I manage necessarily than. Uh, people you know more senior than myself um, but yeah it's, it's, it's taking it on board with with the right the right context understanding why they're saying that um, you know where I am right now ACAST is you know I feel extremely privileged to be to be here I think the journey we're on um, you know we are we're six years in but it feels like podcasting is is still you know going to grow and grow and grow um, and it's about For myself personally, understanding um, more about different aspects of business. I think um, the whole, um, you know, funding and um, acquisition and that part of business, you know, going beyond my sales management role, I'd like to understand more about that side of business, um, Mm. values of companies, that sort of thing as well. So I'd like to learn more about that, for sure. Mm.
1: Well, Joe Copeman, thank you very much indeed, uh, having you on the Inspiring Leadership Series. Really enjoyed your stories and keep doing the great work, and I look forward to hearing how it goes. So, thank, Joe, thank you very much.
2: Thanks, Jonathan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you.
0: So, now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Perks, And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch, or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.